Are you a senior level executive with a growth mindset, ready to grasp the new opportunities and solve the issues that are holding you back? If so, welcome to our podcast, Into the C-Suite with Jim Casino, founder and CEO of C-Suite Advisors. With personal experience as a CEO of more than 10 companies and 15 boards of directors, Jim shares his insights into optimal leadership philosophies, practices, and ways to accelerate growth and elevate your company value. Now, onto the show. We are ready for a look into the C-suite with your host, Jim Casino. Jim is the founder and CEO of C-Suite Advisors, a boutique management consultancy that taps the expertise of highly experienced senior consultants who know the C-Suite because they've worked there. Their best-in-class advice helps startups and middle market companies solve their toughest challenges and go on to thrive. Jim's guest this episode is Christy Siefkin, a speaker extraordinaire and a senior consultant with C-Suite Advisors. So Jim, tell us more about Christy. Thanks so much, Patrice. I have to tell you and our audience today that I am really excited and very pleased to have with us today the founder and CEO of Christy Siefkin Communications, a very successful speech teaching and coaching consultancy that's headquartered here in Scottsdale, Arizona. But she serves clients around the world. Following a glamorous career as a TV broadcaster, a national spokesperson and professional speaker, Christy uses her trademark go-to-speaker method to teach high-powered executives how to speak like a pro, whether on a podcast like this, so I'm hoping to learn today, on stage, in a boardroom, or even in a Zoom call. She's coached over 700 professionals and served companies like Charles Schwab, Hewlett Packard, Coldwell Banker, and dozens more. And in addition, Christy is a senior consultant and practice leader with C-Suite Advisors, which absolutely delights me. Christy, it's a real pleasure to have you with us today. Welcome. Thank you, Jim. And it's a pleasure and an honor for me to be with you as part of your advisory team and to join you here today. You're not going to have much learning to do from me because you are a fantastic communicator, but I'm happy to help however I can. Well, I, I know I can learn a lot from you. I look forward to it and I know our audience does as well. So let's get started. And I'd look at, like to learn about you first before we start to learn from you. So you spent a long time in the broadcasting business and started your own company, but let's first start. Tell us a little bit about your journey into this whole communication space. When people are surprised to learn often, Jim, is that I was not born into the world as someone who likes to speak, someone who likes to be in front of a camera or in front of a microphone. I was a pretty shy kid. I was a pretty introverted kid. I still consider myself an introvert. I still sneak into the restroom at a networking event for some decompression time. But as a kid, I very much spent a lot of alone time playing in cabinets alone, staying close to my mom, not really putting myself out there. And I remember in kindergarten, we had a school play, which was The Wizard of Oz. And The Wizard oh, of Oz was- My fave. Yeah, it was my thing. I was obsessed with Dorothy. For for kids that are growing up now, maybe it is that they, they love Frozen and they sing that nonstop. For me, it was somewhere over the rainbow. I wore the Dorothy costume. I had the ruby slippers. Oh, I skipped great. up and down the, the yellow brick road or red bricks outside of my parents' house. So this chance came to get to be Dorothy in kindergarten. And even at that young age, I knew, okay, this is something I want. I've got to go for it. But when the teacher asked for volunteers, I remember raising my hand to be a munchkin, not to be Dorothy, <laughs> not, not, <laughs> not the lead role, 
but kind of a side part to the side where somebody wouldn't see you. And although at five, six, we don't have as much awareness about uh, self-actualization or goals, there was something inside me then even that knew I've got to change this. I can't be afraid of putting myself out there, of speaking up, of having a voice. And it was really that perfectionist in me, which I know exists a lot within the C-suite, that thought, I don't want the judgment. I don't want to mess this up. I don't want people to think I'm doing this wrong. And that carried with me throughout the rest of my At education. five years old, you had that self-awareness? That's unbelievable. Well, I knew something was just not right. I knew that I yeah. needed to, to shift something. And I probably, it's the perspective as an adult that allows me to, to describe it that clearly. I think at five and six, it was more, I'm crying and I'm unhappy. And what's wrong here? I want to be the Dorothy. What do I need to do <laughs> oh. to be the Dorothy? Yeah. Oh, so I, I continued to push myself out there and join the speech and debate team, you know, shaking when I was trying out and joining acapella groups, even though I wasn't the best singer, getting myself out there pushing. And then eventually, as I went into work in nonprofits, which was my first career space, mm -hmm. I was a business consultant internally in a nonprofit. So my job was not outward facing. It was doing data analysis, writing documents, a desk job. Yeah. But I had a mentor that saw my skill and my ability to communicate. And she came up to me. I will never forget what she said. She said, you are hiding your light under a basket. Oh, Meaning, isn't that nice? It was. I, I'm grateful to this day that she said it because it reminded me you need to keep pushing. This is going to be a lifelong journey. And she asked me, would you like to be the spokesperson for an event that we have coming up? I was terrified, but I said, yes. And I wanted did to do really? it right. Yes. I wanted to do it right. So what did I do? I took 30 pages of notes about the organization and gathered all these statistics and all this information. And I was really going to impress the news reporter with all of this detail and, and, and wow them with my expertise. And of course, the reporter asked questions that had nothing to do with what I- You weren't prepared for. Oh, that's funny. Yeah. They, they were high level questions, which I couldn't answer because I had all the detail. I started, when I watched the footage, flapping my arm, just one chicken arm, not two chicken arms, just one chicken arm. And I had this really fast, fast blinking. And the interview was, it was a disaster. The reporter <laughs> then went to, to interview what they call a man on the street interview in the journalism, TV journalism space, where you go to a 7-Eleven, a Target, a Walmart, you find any stranger on the street to speak to about a topic yeah, because yeah. you can't find anybody to talk to or your interviewer was so bad, you had to find something else to put in the story. You need filler. That's funny. So it was yet again, this moment of, I thought I'd made all this progress, but there's a lot of work to do. It's not enough to speak up and have a voice. You have to be strategic about what you're saying if people are going to listen. And that really set me on the journey of professional communications and my professional communications career in, in broadcasting, going back for my master's to study this and yeah. then getting to work within TV blossomed from that. All started at five with The Wizard of Oz. I love it did. that story. It did. <laughs> How fabulous. You know, so, so after, fast forward then, you spent really two decades or more, I suppose, yeah. in the broadcasting world. And then all of a sudden, you decided that you were going to go off on your own. That was a huge step after a very successful career journey that you'd already had. But I'd love to hear that story. How did you make the transition from the broadcasting professional speaker world 
spokesperson world into a decision to say, I'm going to start Christy Seifkin Communications. I love to hear this story from anybody who goes the entrepreneurial route because everybody's motivation is a little bit different. And for me, while I'd had a really fulfilling career getting to do everything from the videography to the editing to reporting, to anchoring, to weather. I did everything but sports, which was a blessing for viewers because I know nothing about sports unless unless it's figure skating or gymnastics. Mm -hmm. um, I knew that I really wasn't getting to use all of my skills in the way I wanted to. What, what drew me to journalism was the connection with people and the ability to have that direct impact on people's lives. And funny enough, the higher I got within the ranks of broadcasting, I got taken farther away from it. And oh, I was having less less and less interaction with yeah. people and with the community, which was the whole reason that I did this. And in addition to that, I had started on a volunteer basis to help people prepare for media interviews. So I go into a company, prep them, teach them about crafting sound bites, how to make data interesting when you're speaking to the media, how to show up in this virtual space when you're doing interviews. And I absolutely loved it. I love seeing the growth. I love seeing the change from people coming in, feeling self-conscious, feeling scared to thriving and saying, Christy, how do I get more of these opportunities? How do I get out and share my voice? And and I came from a long line of teachers, Jim. I don't know if I shared this with you. Every no, time. I hadn't heard that. Yeah. My, my aunt was a kindergarten teacher, now retired, um, and all the way up through my father, who was a doctorate level professor at a university. So I think there's that teaching gene in me. Yeah. And I, I decided that I wanted to share that, not in a traditional classroom, but instead in a corporate setting. So I took all my experiences from the broadcasting world as a journalist, from the spokesperson world, and now work with individuals and teams to speak. And that can be in any setting. That could be this setting. It could be a podcast. It could be that media interview. It mm -hmm. could be a, an important boardroom conversation. And then now more and more, we are seeing individuals want to speak on stages. I think, Ted, we can thank for that. Yeah. People have been inspired to get up on a stage and share their mission, whatever that is. Yeah, of course, Ted does a tremendous amount of coaching of the speakers yes. they that they accept anyway. And so you're doing the similar type of work with uh, executives across the country and around the world. Yes. You know, we had chatted earlier before we started recording today, and you'd mentioned something I was so fascinated by. And that was, you said that in your opinion, today, communication skills for executives are more important than at any other time. Can you tell us a little bit more about your view there? Absolutely. I think that we are now expected to be a brand. Whether you are an entrepreneur or you're even an employee inside of a company, there's an expectation that you have a brand presence and it involves communication. It involves speaking. That is being on the podcast, having videos that you're posting to your website or to your social media channels, being somebody who can conduct themselves in a virtual meeting in a way that's interesting and not exhausting and makes you want to just shut your camera off and go hang out with the dog on the couch. And especially for leaders, it's no longer... Uh, it's, it's no longer enough, I would say, to bring 
the the tactical brilliance and the intelligence to your craft. There's the expectation that you can inspire and motivate and lead people through your communication. And unfortunately, a lot of leaders are ill-equipped for this. They've not been expected to communicate at this level and through these channels. They get to this height in their career, a new position, and are told, you need to now be the face of this brand or brand for yourself. And they're lost feeling powerless or feeling self-conscious about even asking for help when there's no reason for that. There's no reason to feel that it should be natural to talk on camera or natural to talk to a thousand people, because frankly, it isn't. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's interesting. And of course, today where where employees are working remotely, they're not in the office every day. You don't have the face-to-face opportunity. So many of us are on Zoom day in and day out, which of course shows your your face and, and your right. behaviors and things like that. I want to get to some of those different types of speaking opportunities and hear some of your wisdom on that. But before we do, you know, maybe to kick off that area, I'd love to hear you tell us a little bit more about what I think of as your trademark approach to coaching and teaching speaking skills. You call it go to speaker method. Uh, tell us a little bit about it, why it's unique and, and differentiated from others in your space. When I started my business, Jim, or even before I started the business, frankly, I noticed a trend and it was among high level leaders that had accomplished a tremendous amount in their careers, often gone mm-hmm. to prestigious universities, had all of the the accolades, if you will, that somebody could be happy with and just stop their career, their career there. But these individuals wanted to take things to the next level. They wanted to be thought of as the credible expert, the go-to person, if you will, hence go-to speaker in their industry. So whether that is within real estate, financial services, healthcare, law, when there be an opportunity for a media interview to speak to an audience, maybe even to write a book, to start a blog, they wanted to be the top of mind person, the go-to person in their industry for that. And so I crafted my methodology to help help people stand out as the expert within their space. Because if we can't be face-to-face, the next richest medium is to speak virtually or to to Mm -hmm. speak from a stage. If we can't have that intimate meeting because it allows us to to get to know somebody, their personality, it lets us establish trust. And when we feel like we know somebody, we know their authentic self, their authentic voice through their speaking, through their communications, we get to trust them. And then they're the people we want to follow as a leader and the people who we want to work with as well. Yeah. You know, that's not only fascinating and so accurate, it's really coincidental that the podcasting company that we use for these podcasts, they're one of North America's leading influence marketing companies out of Canada, but they cover the whole U.S., et cetera. And, and they say the same thing about influence marketing is creating celebrity status for yourself because you're an expert in the field, but you can't really proclaim being an expert until you have followers, people that understand and look to you as really an expert. Uh, Speaking of that a little bit, CEOs that you work with, you must be seeing similarities when they're challenged to get in front of a group, whether it be Zoom calls, podcasts, whatever it might be, or live experiences. What's the number one mistake that you see in them when they try to get better and give in a presentation? It's a mistake, but one that I don't fault anybody for because it's taking our education and what we were taught from a very young age and trying to apply it to speaking. What I mean by this is that we are taught details 
information, statistics back up your argument. We're taught this in school essays when yep. we're young. We're taught it as researchers. Certainly, you need to have all of the data there. But when you go to speak, it is a disservice to your audience. It doesn't land because our attention spans are so short, so small. So one of the themes or mistakes that I see leaders making is including all of this information, doing a data dump to prove their credibility, prove that they are the expert in the space. And instead of connecting to their audience and instilling trust in the audience, it alienates and or bores the audience. People yeah. check out very early on if that's the type of presentation you're giving. And it's really a crime because there is a way to draw in your audience really through storytelling. That's a key piece, which I'll talk about in just a moment here. People neglect that and instead go back to their tendencies of what they would do when they write a document opposed to delivering mm -hmm. a spoken communication. And I encourage all of my senior leaders to share stories as they are speaking to audiences in order to make that human connection. Part of the problem we also see with the data dump, the facts, all the information is the lack of brevity. And Jim, I know you appreciate this because you have a <laughs> mantra, which I'd love for you to share that includes this. If you will share that with the audience. I, I will. Uh, my mantra, which I've worked with for years is brevity, clarity, and materiality. Yes. That uh, my father was in the advertising business and ah, his yes. copywriters, he'd always used to say, take a little more time and make it short, which I love. And in speeches, I, it's so important. Uh, I, I I think, and here I'm, this is not about me. This is about you, no, Christy, but I, I really believe that uh, so many speakers hide behind PowerPoint or yes. hide behind data. They feel like it's a safe harbor because they know the statistics and the data points and nobody can question that where they could question them as a yes. presenter or a personality or someone they like or don't like. Uh, so uh, anyway, yes, brevity, no, materiality, clarity are the three big uh, pillars of communication in my world. I'm going to incorporate that within my next workshop. I think it's that beautiful. And I and I love to share a, a Winston Churchill quote that goes with along with what your Great. father said, Jim. And he said, if I'm to speak for 10 minutes, I need a week of preparation. If it's for 15 minutes, I need three days. If it's a half an hour, two days. If it's an hour, I'm ready now. So the point of his message, of course, is when we have the chance to ramble and include whatever and go here and there with our communication, then we can speak right now. If you need to speak in that concise way, it takes a lot of work. And often people don't put in the work. They wing it. Along with the data dump, they wing it. And it is the biggest mistake because all sorts of bad things can happen from losing your audience to missing your main point to not having a thought order that allows your audience to follow along with you. So that preparation and taking the time to, to learn to craft concise communications is really a, a pain point that I see with a lot of leaders. Wow. That's great. I love the Churchill quote. I, I Probably the biggest file in my uh, business file cabinet is titled wisdom and over my very long career i've i've captured words of wisdom like that one from churchill so i'm going to go back and listen to this recording again and write it down <laughs> i'll but send it I, to I've you captured Jim. words of wisdom that i i try to embed in my own thinking and approaches yes. uh to whether it's communication or whatever it may be and that's a great one so that goes in the file no doubt and he's uh, a, a memorable order yeah pardon me 
He's a memorable say? orator. If you think of some oh. of the greatest orators, and we, we think of the Martin Luther Kings, uh, yeah. we think of Winston Churchill is one of them who certainly had panache when he spoke. He was a memorable communicator for sure. There's one other it reminds me of, and it's another I quote often, which is from Leonardo da Vinci. And da Vinci said, simplicity is the ultimate sophistication. Yes. And I just yes. love that. And it certainly relates to communications and, and yes. presentations. Simplicity, simplicity, simplicity. But speaking of connection to your speaker and the, the audience, between the speaker and the audience themselves, for constructive communication, can you tell us, give us any ideas on some things that could be done to really connect leaders and speakers to their audiences more effectively? Yes. Storytelling is such a buzzword, and it has been for nearly a decade within all industries, but it's for good reason. And it's because there's no better way to, to convey ideas and to connect with people through telling stories. And I think people make the mistake of thinking a Disney movie or a cartoon or a novel, that is a type of story, but it's more taking the principles of, of a narrative and being a, a character within your own story you're sharing or sharing the stories of of mm -hmm. clients you've worked with that allows you to connect with people in a really human way. And this is a great tool that every CEO should include within their tool belt. They're hesitant to include it though, because of this fear of vulnerability. You made the point earlier, Jim, about not wanting to be judged or not wanting to be looked at as I'm not doing this quite right. I'm not speaking as well as I maybe should. I'm just going to lean into the data. When you can show that vulnerability as a leader and when you can show that humanity, it instills the trust that really gets your teams on board with you. And storytelling mm -hmm. also has an amazing chemical effect on our bodies. I'm, I'm a big psychology and science nerd. It's what I studied within my undergrad degree. But researchers have seen that when we tell impactful stories, our audience has eight, as many as eight different areas of their brain light up. And those include uh, processing regions that make the audience feel like they're a part of what you're saying. When you look at data and analytics shared in a speech, two areas of the brain light up, light up. And those are strictly for language processing, Broca's area and Wernicke's area. So what would you choose if you think about it? I can get two areas of my listener's brain to light up as I'm talking, and they're just listening to the words and processing them. Or I can get eight areas to light up and pull the audience in. Obviously, the latter choice is a stronger choice. And when we listen to the stories from a leader, particularly about struggle, and hard times, it builds this incredible connection and a release of oxytocin, which we often think of as the love drug. The love the drug, yeah. Yeah, or the bonding drug between mother yeah, and child. But it also is the drug that creates that trust and that trust bond. And I use uh, Jack Ma founder of Alibaba, as an example of someone who did, has historically done a wonderful job of this, sharing his own vulnerability and sharing his troubled journey. So he's someone who failed his college entrance exams twice. He applied to Harvard. I didn't know that really. Yeah. Yes. Applied to Harvard and was rejected 10 times. Oh my God. When he was trying to get jobs out of school, he applied to 30 jobs, got rejected from them all, including just trying to work at KFC. He couldn't even <laughs> get a job working there. He was 18 months away from bankruptcy and as you listen to his speeches and his communications, he openly shares all of this. And he is smart to do it, Jim, because it allows the audience to see this person is like me. This He's person human. is human. Uh, and 
it allows me to trust and look up to this person as someone who's overcome a tremendous amount of struggle and obstacles and still has the tenacity to push forward. That's the kind of person who I want to follow as a leader. So if there's one suggestion I can make in terms of content of speeches for CEOs, it's to incorporate those stories. Client stories are great. Stories about yourself are the most powerful. That's the authentic uh, yeah. self that you want to display. You know, it's funny because you told a story about the Wizard of Oz and five yeah. years old uh, when we started talking. Yes. <laughs> and some of the pain of going circle. through that. <laughs> you, you know, Christy, what I'm fascinated by, one of the many things I'm fascinated by is most senior executives, by the time they become a CEO or in the C-suite, they're pretty darn good normally in one-on-one -on -one conversations. Yet a universal fear we all have is standing up in front of a big group and trying to look smart and trying to look, you know, empathetic and all those things. Why does that scare us so much? Do you have any insights on that? The answer is our biology. It is our fight or flight response that's getting triggered, just like our ancestors had it triggered when they had a wild, hungry animal coming at them. Today, it is not, I'm going to die because this animal is going to attack me, but instead it is all of these faces in the audience are going to judge my intelligence. They're going to judge my capability. They might think that what I'm saying is stupid and we want to be accepted. We are social creatures. Mm. Our reputation is what's at risk if we stand up there and we show ourselves not to be the leader who we really know we are. So it is at that biological level of the fight or flight response being triggered, just like it was for our caveman ancestors. So even the CEO is fragile to some extent. Is that what you're yes. saying? I tell people that speaking is the great equalizer. I work with people who are in college still and getting ready for their first job. I work with people that are managing multi-billion dollar budgets and the yeah. fears and insecurities are the same when, when I speak to them one-on-one -on -one and they disclose it and feel comfortable disclosing it. Well, in a way that's comforting to hear. That it is. is it is. We're admit. all the same. You know, the global pandemic that we've all lived through now for several years has forced virtual communications in a way that we've never really had seen before. Uh, and, and so many of us use platforms, whether it's WebEx or Zoom or whatever, they we're using these media to talk to our employees, our, our investors, our, our customers, et cetera. What's the biggest challenge that you're seeing when client when they face clients on a medium like Zoom on camera? Yeah. What have you discovered I, there? I see that clients look unnatural and they sound unnatural, both what they're saying and the way that they're saying it, because this frankly is unnatural speaking into a microphone and not mm -hmm. seeing another live human or staring into a little green dot is very unnatural. And we have this cognitive dissonance because the way that we see ourselves when we're brushing our teeth or, or styling our hair in the mirror is a mirrored image of ourselves. So we go back and look at a recording of ourselves and we literally, Jim, do not recognize ourselves because the image is not mirrored. So we think we look at ourselves and feel uncomfortable. As we start to feel uncomfortable, we stammer, we lose our train of thought, our eye contact, our gestures start to convey that we're not confident. That then makes the audience uncomfortable. And the person watching starts questioning, does this person even know what they're talking about? So it becomes this spiral where everybody is questioning their own authority or the authority of the person who is speaking. And often we think too, if I write down some points and I memorize it, or I read off a script, 
script. That's the only way that I can speak into this camera. It's so unnatural. <laughs> and, and your audience yeah. can tell when you're doing that, opposed to the casual conversation that we had back in the day within a boardroom. So getting yeah. people to, to practice and to become comfortable with the camera, as silly as it sounds, as a friend or as someone you're having a one-on-one -on -one conversation with, really can help you to be just a much more natural communicator. Yeah, interesting. That, that that's helpful as well. You know, you know that we talked a little bit about the different types of communications that business executives face these days, whether it is Zoom or it's uh, podcasting or it's uh, you know telephone call or on camera or on stage. Can you tell us a little bit about are there different ways or different skills you should be employing in these different medium or forums in order to be most effective? Any quick tips on those things? Absolutely. We have many tools in our toolkit to communicate. Mm -hmm. The most are available when it's in person because we have our facial expressions, we have our gestures, we have our movement across the physical space, whether it's a boardroom or a stage, we have the tone of our voice, and then of course the words that we're speaking. And additionally, we may have the tool of a PowerPoint or a visual aid. I'll go back to the point that you made earlier, Jim, hiding behind this or leaning into the graphics exclusively is something you need to be aware of because you're naturally, as you just turn and look at graphics and pay attention to that, you're telling your audience to do the same and you lose all of these amazing cues. Our faces, number one, which are the cue that from birth we look to, to understand emotions, to understand social cues. When you're telling your audience, stop looking at me and start looking at this graphics, you're losing a key communication pathway. You want to balance the use of your gestures, the use of your movements, and within the tone of your voice, always, always, you want to have that variety, but never let these things go to the wayside at the expense of a PowerPoint. If somebody's presenting virtually and mm -hmm. you don't have the in-person movement, you lose that, which isn't the end of the world. But you want to make sure and minimize the PowerPoint to maximize yourself on the screen. Because we go to share PowerPoints in these Zoom or WebEx spaces, and yep. we turn into this tiny little thumbnail that nobody can see. So body language, which can account for up to 70% of what we're communicating, gets pushed to the side, and yet again, attention is to the graphics. So the tip I would give for people when they're presenting virtually one of them is make sure you dedicate time at the front end and the back end of your communication to not sharing anything and having exclusively be your face or your torso on camera so that you can gesture, your audience can see your movements, your audience can see your face and your expressions. And then this platform that we're on, if it is mm -hmm. voice only, if it's a podcast, if it's a phone right. call, you lose gestures, but this is something people don't think to do. I want you to go big with your gestures, even bigger than normal when you just have audio, because it informs our level of enthusiasm. So even though you can't see my So name, you can hear it in their voice. You can hear it in their voice when you use the gestures. And it also lightens the cognitive load as we're thinking about the next thing to say. There's yeah. been research that's shown as we gesture, it helps it make it easier for the speaker to come up with what they're going to say next. So it's oh, balancing the tools. And when you have limited tools like audio voice only, amplify that. Make sure to use that vocal variety. Make sure to use the power and use your gestures to help you along the way. That's awesome. That's wonderful feedback. But I'm going to hit you with it again. I'm going to ask for, you know, any more little quick tips you can give us, little ideas for different 
forums of communication that might help a guy like me be better? I'll give you a tip that I used just this morning before we met for our podcast, and that is to have a walk-up routine. So we think of the Beyonce's and the pro athletes of the world. Maybe they have a walk-up routine to get ready. As a speaker, you want to have that too, particularly in this virtual space that where it can feel unnatural and we're not really our full selves. So that means getting your mind in a good place and your body. And I share with clients all the time exercises everywhere from burpees and jumping jacks to the other end of the spectrum, progressive relaxation and deep breathing. And you have to play around with it, see what fits for you, but to get your body in a space of feeling calm and in the zone, but also excited about the communication. And then mentally, it is reminding yourself, you are the expert at this. If you're invited on a podcast, if you're asked to give a speech, if you're asked to give a presentation, it's because you are the expert, you're the authority. Even if you were just told by your boss, there's a reason you were chosen to do this. And when you come from the place of service to your speakers and knowing that I have some really important information that's going to impact them, even mm -hmm. if it's not, even if it's painful or uncomfortable information, if you can think of, I want my audience to receive this well, how can I do that? When you're of service to them, the nerves start to go away. So that would be my first tip would be getting your mind. Focus on them, not on me. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Put the, the audience is your hero in all of this. And then sketch out ahead of time, take some notes about what you want to say. And you may think, well, this is a no brainer. Of course, I want to plan what I'm going to say. It doesn't even blow my mind anymore when I work with CEOs and they say, I just wing it. I just see what comes to my to mind not a good strategy because all sorts of things can go wrong. So what are the three main things? Because we keep three to seven things in our working memory at any time, three things that you want your audience to remember if they forget everything else. And you can write those down on paper. You can also even better speak them into your voice recorder on your phone because the language you use when you speak is different than the language we use when we write. So if you want to sound natural, speak into your phone and transcribe it. The way you speak that way is going to sound great. And then finally, and people hate this one, but is the most effective tip, record yourself all day. Find opportunities to talk into your camera and record yourself. It could be while you're folding laundry, you're walking the dog, you're maybe cooking. One of the ways that when I was first starting in broadcasting, I got comfortable with talking into that little lens was to describe what I was cooking like I was on the Food Network. So I would describe this you know, beautiful organic <laughs> bell pepper that, that really was frozen vegetables from Kroger, but the audience didn't yeah. need to know that. And I described the cumin and the health benefits and I would be enthusiastic with it as I did it. And I got more and more comfortable talking about an easy topic into a camera lens. And as you're doing that, go big. That'd be my final, final tip. The camera lens and even our microphones dull our level of enthusiasm. So CEOs who I work with or C-suite individuals who are really dynamic in person get in this formal presentation mode. Interesting. And it's yeah. so blah. It's very boring. It's they boring. lose their gift. Yes, they lose yeah. and they lose their passion for it. Yeah. So I say use the college reunion trick. And the college reunion <laughs> trick is Jim. <laughs> You and I are meeting up at College Reunion. I haven't seen you in 10 years. Am I going to say, Jim, it's good to see you, man. How you been? No, I'm going to say, Jim, oh my gosh, I haven't seen you in a decade. How is your family? You look great. How is your mom doing? The level of enthusiasm and excitement you have when you see that friend at Reunion, 
bring that to your communications and it'll, it won't sound over the top. I promise you, it's just going to sound passionate and genuine. You know, Christy, you've given us some absolutely wonderful tips. I'm going to put a lot of them to work after I listen to this uh, video over and over, not video, the podcast over and over and over again myself. But I, I have a sort of a curveball question for you. Now that you're an entrepreneur, you're helping all these companies in different forms, nonprofit, profit, et cetera, big company, little company, CEOs, C-suite, et cetera. Can you tell us what's been most gratifying about being your own boss and being an entrepreneur? I love to see the transformation of somebody that comes to me and feels stuck. They feel like there's something that is wrong with them because they can't speak in a setting comfortably and calmly and to transform them, not just at a performance level, but at a psychological and a heart level to know there's nothing wrong with you. This is simply a, a, a skill that you learn like playing tennis, like playing chess and getting them to their goal, whether that mm -hmm. is getting the promotion in the company, getting the opportunity to give the speech at the conference they've always wanted to give it at, or even inspiring them to start a podcast. That is the most gratifying piece is to, to know that I provided some tools on an individual's journey to help them feel happier and more fulfilled within their personal and professional life. That makes all of the challenges of being an entrepreneur completely worth it. Oh, that's great. That's great. There's a, there's a deep degree of empathy in what you say there and what you've delivered today. I thank you so much. Let me ask you, how can a listener who says, you know, Christy has a lot to offer. I want to learn more. How can they reach you? Well, I would be going against my own advice if I wasn't on multiple social media channels uh, yeah. where you can use video and communicate. So you can find me at Christy Seifkin on Instagram, on LinkedIn, on Facebook. And my website is simple. It's ChristySiefkin.com. And I work with people individually. I work with companies over a long period of time or just for quick workshops to get people polished up and, and sharpen the knife, if you will, on those presentation skills. And I'd love to work with anybody who's looking to take their communications to the next level. It really is such a key skill as we continue to be in this virtual space and have to learn to communicate in a new way. Right. Great. And of course, they can also reach you through C-Suite Advisors. Absolutely. As I think Patrice may tell us with a little advertorial at the end before we close. <laughs> Please do, Patrice. But before we do that, <laughs> I just want to thank you. It's it's always oh, a delight you, meeting Patrice. with you and working with you. And today has certainly been one of the joys. So I thank you so much for sharing your expertise. Well, Jim, thank you so much for having me. I had a great time and we'll happily come back anytime you like. Thanks. My turn now, and it is C-Suite Advisors, where CEOs tap into unbiased, deeply experienced wisdom, perspective, and credibility to accelerate their company's performance and growth. To discuss how C-Suite Advisors may help your business in a free 30-minute consultation, contact us at advisor at c-suite.co or call for an appointment at 480-840-7055. Thank you for listening to Into the C-Suite with Jim Casino. Click the following button below to be notified as new episodes become available. 